This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast and the last in this special mini-series of episodes in association with Organic UK to celebrate and promote Organic September. Now, I've been buying organic food for a while now. We get a weekly Riverford veg box and I seek out organic products wherever I can in the supermarket. But until recording this series, I have to confess I wasn't really that aware of the huge potential that organic systems can have on the climate crisis. Agriculture and food production get a pretty bad rap when it comes to the climate. Agriculture is responsible for around 9% of greenhouse gas emissions here in the UK. And together with related emissions from changing land use and cutting down forests, it apparently accounts for around 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions. But research done by the Soil Association shows that if Europe's farmland all followed organic principles, then agricultural emissions, that's quite hard to say, could drop by 40 to 50 percent by 2050. Now, that is a massive chunk of carbon saved right there. I think you'll agree. So how does this actually work? What is it about organic practices that means they pump out so much less carbon? Well, I'm glad you are. In this episode, I've got a two-parter for you. In the first part, I'm chatting to the wonderful Anna de la Vega from The Urban Worm, who some of you might remember from episode 38, where she answered all my questions about wormeries. In this episode, she's sharing her knowledge about soil health, why it's so vital to the planet, why modern agriculture is so bad for it, and how organic systems can help to replenish it. And then in part two, I'm chatting to Tim Mead, dairy farmer and CEO of Yo Valley Farms, about how organic and regenerative agriculture work in practice on their farm and what they've achieved in terms of reducing their carbon footprint. It's an absolutely fascinating episode, a total eye opener for me. I think I say the words mind blown at least 57 times. Enjoy. Hello, Anna. Welcome back to Sustainable. Hello, thanks for having me. Now, you've been on the show before talking to us all about worms and food waste. But for anyone who hasn't listened to that podcast episode yet, and I suspect everyone will be scurrying off to find it, and I will link to it in the show notes. Can you introduce yourself to us all and let us know a little bit about what you do? I run um, a social enterprise called The Urban Worm registered community interest company um, and we promote worm farming as a sustainable solution for organic waste management so even if you live in a flat you don't have much space you can still do your bit and do some composting the worms will help you out so yeah we do educational programs and workshops and consultation but we push the worm the worm word you love that you're a a wormologist aren't you yes self-proclaimed wormologist (laughs) You can call yourself what you like when it's your own business. Exactly. That's one of the one of the perks. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And and when we talked last time, we talked a lot about the role of worms in helping with food waste and Mm -hmm. composting and things. But what I really want to to dig into today with you, hey, my little pun, wasn't an intended pun, dig into, is the role of worms in the health of soil and Mm -hmm. and how that joins up with the climate crisis. Because I think a lot of us don't make that link at all. So What is the role of soil in the climate crisis? Well, um, soil is a, is a big carbon sponge. 
So it is a yeah, for carbon sequestration. And unfortunately, due to intensive um, chemical dependent agriculture, we are destroying the health of the soil. So especially with um, tillage, when we till the soil... So tillage we, is another word. We, people keep saying that and I'm like, I think I know what it means. It means ploughing, does it? Yes. We would yeah. call it ploughing. So, when, so when we plough, we are turning all the carbon that's been stored in the soil and we're, release, and we're being released back into the atmosphere yeah. again. And when we talk um, about sequestering carbon, again, does that just mean it, it pulls carbon out of the, store, out of the like, environment like and stores it? Yeah. It, okay. It's a, um, a carbon store. I like the so it's actually idea. fungi that is actually the carbon store. So um, the soil is alive. Well, healthy soil should be alive. So one one handful of healthy soil sh- can, should contain more microbes than humans on the planet. That's mental. So, so when we till the soil, we're slicing and dicing all the beneficial microorganisms. And what are those microbes doing? So they release nutrients. So you have bacteria and fungi. And fungi actually sequester 80% of carbon dioxide. So no they're way. really, really important to, um, to, to tackling soil, no, to tackling climate change. Mm. So every time we're ploughing and tilling, we're destroying the life in the soil. We were just talking about this film that's come out on Netflix called Kissing the Ground. Yeah. And he shows this amazing, I don't know if you saw it, like this footage from NASA that's um, satellite and it's showing the, the sort of swirling, co2 um concentrations yeah and and it's tracking it throughout the year and the purple and blue or something is carbon dioxide and in what was it march and april when they're plowing there was loads and loads and loads of carbon in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and then in 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 sort of summer and august when the plants were all growing it really dropped so it was amazing yeah. to really see that like yeah. literally it's kind of if we could if it was a color we could see it coming up yeah. out of the ground so, yeah, it's a powerful tool. We need to address our agricultural practices. So according to, um, well, I'm currently taking um, the Soil Food Web course by Dr. Elaine Ingham. Mm. She's, a, she's a hero. And she says that within three years, we can turn this round. If we heal the soil, we can reverse climate change in wow. three years. That, that completely blows my mind. Yeah. And also, then you're kind of like, once you've got over the mind-blown bit, like, why aren't we doing this? Why isn't everybody jumping up and down and, and talking about this? So big business, there's big business, big ag. I guess the, the money that they're making in terms of pesticides and uh, mm-hmm. fertilizers and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. And also the, the, the production of these chemicals are, are very energy intensive. Mm. So, and also um, the production of synthetic fertilizer emits nitrous oxide, which is 310 times stronger than carbon dioxide. Wow. So even the production of these resources, or yeah. call, call them resources, um, chemicals, uh, is, is, is highly damaging. They're almost a double, I don't know, maybe they're a triple whammy, but their production of these chemicals, so we're talking about pesticides and herbicides and fertilizers, mm-hmm. is, as you say, is energy intensive and is also releasing greenhouse gases. Yes. And then what happens to the soil when we put them on the soil? So it just kills the life in the soil. So, fung- so um, pesticide, fungicide, aside means to kill. Mm-hmm. So we're basically killing and destroying the life in the soil. And the life in the soil is what feeds us. So it's actually the um, when the, the 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 microbes excrete their waste, they excrete nutrients. Mm-hmm. So without the without the microbes, we don't have any nutrients right. in the soil. And it's hence, dirt. then we need to put the fertilizers on it. And then you need then you become a situation where you have to put the fertilizers on the soil. And all synthetic fertilizers are salts. Right. And obviously, we know that salts are not good for plants, for the soil. Mm. So um, they're very, very damaging. Very, very damaging. And also the, the, um, the nutrient density of our food is reduced. And right. We're not, we're not getting healthy fruit and vegetables this way. So we need to and on, ship around. On that film, and I'm sure that you've mentioned it as well in the podcast that we did, they talked about the, the number of years of healthy topsoil we've got left mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. that, that equates to obviously to the number of harvests and yeah. i've heard varying things from kind of 30 to 60 yeah. years well yeah that. i think i've been saying six, uh, 30 years for about probably 10 years now oh, God. <laughs> but yeah it is um, supposedly 
globally 60 years and in the UK 30 years. Wow. But it's probably a lot less than that now. My goodness me. And so we're recording this as part of a mini series around organic produce and obviously mm-hmm. organic farming plays a big role in that in, produ- in, in producing all this produce. And um, how is organic better for the soil then? You're feeding the soil mm-hmm. rather than killing um, the life in the soil with synthetic fertilizers. So, yeah. um, I mean, but even not, not all organic um, farms also are operating to the highest of their capacity. Right. This is the thing. So you need to have good biology in the soil mm. and know how to compost properly. Yeah. You no, know, not everyone knows how to compost properly. Yeah. It's not just stick things in, you know, stick, stick your waste in and hope for the best. Um, there is a process. And if all farmers knew how to produce very good quality compost with all, all the biology in there, yeah. then well, everyone would save a lot of money. And, <laughs> and literally, I, it's just in the, the quality of compost that, that we're producing. Yeah, there was an article that came out, I think, at the beginning of September that I'll link to in the show notes, saying that if all of Europe's farmland converted to organic, then it would reduce agricultural emissions by 40 to 50% mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's just kind of mind-blowing, Huge isn't it? Huge impact, absolutely. And water, uh, obviously, when you've got healthy soil, uh, it retains more moisture. Yeah. We're just wasting a lot of all, all the runoff and then all the chemicals are going into our water um, supply, causing eutrophication, which is killing all the life. So it kind of feels crazy that we've got into this into this situation mm-hmm. and you just mentioned that that on the course you're on she said like within three years we can mm-hmm. turn this around like whoa what would that look like what yeah. do we have to do yeah uh, yeah <laughs> where do you start yeah. <laughs> where do you start um as, uh, within one year if farmers shifted they would start to see they, they would start to see better harvests mm-hmm. if they get the biology in the soil it's right. all about the biology it's all about the microbes. It's all about the fungi and bacteria. And I think we're obsessed at the moment, aren't we? We're, we've got an antibacterial and yes. we don't really understand the value uh, of, of microbes and how important they are. Yes, I think we're probably all pretty microbe averse yeah. at the moment. <laughs> Even with worms, people forget how important worms are. But, yeah. Um, they're small and we don't see them, but it's the, the things that we can't necessarily see which are very important and key, key to our survival on this planet. Yeah. And did you say to me last time we spoke that you'd or there was work being done on big farms, maybe it was in South America, like using actively using worms and wormeries to improve the soil? Yeah, did I make, well, it's yeah. happening all um, uh, vermiculture, worm farming is pretty big all over the world, really, apart from in the UK. <laughs> but there is um, there, there is an interesting company. Um, what were they called? Oh, I can't remember. They won a, a, a Unilever award. Um, okay. I think it was in Colombia. And they were using um, vermifiltration is a way to clean water as well. Right. So they were using clean, um, cleaning the water and putting it through um, a vermifiltration system and then feeding that straight back to the, to the farm. So on a oh, clo- okay. cl- closed loop system. So making synthetic. So using not, the not worms to filter the um, water. Organic fertilizer. Wow. Amazing. That three year figure is still completely blowing my mind. So is it that, in three years, if ev- so that's presumably like everybody now yeah. switches to organic and mm-hmm. um, regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And, and by three years, we would be pulling carbon in rather than yes. emitting it, like yes. net total? Yes. Wow. Yes. According to um, Elaine Ingham, yes, that is, that is possible. So there is hope. We can do this. Yeah. It's just having the industry... Um, and institutions and governments behind us, but there's you know, there's always invested financial interest, and this is the this is the um, the problem. <laughs> yes, this is yeah. this is the but, thing I mean, that's standing in the way. That that is just I keep saying it's mind blowing, but it is because yeah. when you think the amount of carbon that we're kind of pumping out, and there's this sort of carbon legacy, isn't there? Which is the the carbon that we've already emitted kind of, even mm-hmm. if we stopped now, the carbon mm-hmm. that we've already emitted mm-hmm. up to this point will continue heating, heating the globe. But actually if we can 
very rapidly reach a position yeah. whereby we're we're drawing that down and yeah i just i think soils well, soil is a giant carbon sponge. oh man it's just giant this completely overlooked and it's so sad when you drive past fields and they're all beige and they're you know that there's no growth and farmers mm. have just left them with no under with, with no um vegetation growing there and it's it's a disaster. It's mm. not the way we should be farming. There needs to be cover crops. There needs the, the land needs to be covered so it be, can, can be sequestering carbon throughout throughout the year. And how easy is it for a farmer to say, okay, I mean, I'm not sure how many farmers we have mm. listening to the podcast, but to say, oh my God, that like, okay, we're going to start to do things differently. Because mm-hmm. it's a whole new learning process for them yeah. things isn't it like is it hard I imagine it probably is is that well I'm uh, I'm I'm going to be doing a consultancy course after I finished my um, my foundation course with um Dr Elaine um so I have to trial I have to um find a farmer to <laughs> practice on so, <laughs> so, so who's willing to do that, that yes. so anyone out there um yeah we can turn it around in a year that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it does give me hope. And, and I said to you about watching this Kiss the Ground movie, it, it, did, it is a really hopeful mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, you're like, wow, and you see what these people are doing and the, the biodiversity they've got. And the, the, I mean, this guy was saying that he had, that the average farmer in the US makes something like 10 cents an acre or something. And he was making like a hundred dollars an acre or something. You know, it was, it was astounding because Mm -hmm. I think that's our assumption that by doing things less intensively, there'll be less profit in it and therefore it's not viable, but actually Mm -hmm. it's the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's less inputs when Mm. you you run a business, you realize you want to cut down your, your, um, your inputs. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can help farmers do that, they'll be, very happy I'm sure it's just um, it's just change isn't it when you've been um, told to do things a certain yes. way it's funny it's, so, it's one of those things that almost feels too simple to work yeah do you know because I think we're so used to buying stuff to fix mm-hmm. things and mm-hmm. um, and and obviously on farmers as well and so it's just like well this is broken you're telling me I need to not buy something mm-hmm. today it feels really mm-hmm. counterintuitive doesn't it, it? A, I mean it's a scary step for a, a farmer mm. it's yes change you yeah. know, you've been doing it this way for a long time. Yeah. Um, but when the bank is being broken, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's there are alternatives. So it's having the courage to um, to try a different way. And I think somebody else mentioned that as well, seeing the soil as as a, a kind of bank, and that actually mm-hmm. their role as a farmer was to to put more into the bank than they're mm-hmm. taking out. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's a really yeah. Nice analogy we can all understand, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, absolutely. We need to. It's not just dirt. Um, yeah. It's a living, living, breathing organism. Yeah. Start treating it as such rather than killing it. Yeah. It sounds like there's this amazing potential there. And as a consumer, I'm sat here thinking, well, this is bonkers. Why isn't everybody doing this? What can we do as consumers to? To help because it feels like it's a decision that has to be made by mm-hmm. by farmers or by yeah. policies or whatever is there anything that we can do to help push it forward S- support your organic farmer okay yeah buy or always buy um also no if people can afford it obviously things are, are getting tight at the moment but if we support the industry and then the yeah. industry goes and then an organic farm needs to buy okay we need to buy another fa- we need we need to buy more farms we need sure. to expand so I think it's just, you know, support the industry as, as much as you possibly can. It's, it's kind of almost as simple as that, isn't it? I guess Both from our perspective. Pound, and, absolutely. Yeah, the, the power of our pound and using yeah. that. And, and we've talked throughout this series about the fact that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And the sort of ask, I guess, for Organic September is that people swap one product out of their mm-hmm. weekly shop um, and make mm-hmm. it organic. And and as you, we've talked about a lot, if, you know, if you're buying with the seasons and you're buying organic, you may find that that actually helps to even things out. And obviously Absolutely. we're really buckling our belts in terms of food waste. That will help to sort of save and, some money. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot cheaper if you get an, um, an organic box veg delivery from your, your local mm. farm. It's really, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel that it's any much more expensive than buying it from a supermarket. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Anna. You, every time I oh, speak to you, welcome. you blow my mind. 
<laughs> no, it's nice to, to, to be back. So thank you for inviting me. And yeah. The, yeah, the power of the worm and the power of, the, of soil and the power yes. that we have to, to influence Absolutely. that in the choices we that we're making. So Buy organic really wherever you can, support your local farmer. Yeah. And compost. We can make yeah. our own soil. You know, the soil, if the soil is, is being degraded in farmland, we can produce our own in our backyard yeah definitely so that we're not then having to on a micro scale use those fertilizers and those weed absolutely killers and all that kind of exactly well. then we don't need to go to the shops and buy synthetics because we're making our own yes oh brilliant thank you so much Annie. You're brilliant thanks jen good to talk to you Welcome to Sustainable-ish, Tim. Can you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us a little bit about you and what you do and then tell us about Yo Valley as well? Hi, well, my name's Tim Mead and I joined Yo Valley in 1985, um, which was a family business that my father started. Um, and since 1985 to today, we've been making yogurt and producing milk in Somerset and a wider area. In 1990, Four, when the Milk Marketing Board disappeared, we basically launched the Yo Valley Organic brand. Um, and that was because the Milk Marketing Board was disappearing. There were a few, there was about five organic dairy farmers and they had nowhere to really sell their milk. Right. So we thought as a, as a yogurt maker, we would get behind it um, and then go ahead and see if we can sell some yogurt and some milk and some, some organic dairy products. So have you guys always been an organic farm no uh, my parents moved to Holt farm in 1961 and well, I guess really in those days there weren't really organic farms it yeah was, it was just they farmed in a way um, and as organic came along we went through the various stages and I guess in the early 60s and the 70s of experimenting with different sorts of farming mm. and then we basically ended up at the area that we felt really comfortable in um, which was farming organically and so just trying to sort of work out, I guess, the, the evolution, if you like, of, of sort of organic. And we dive in on one of the other podcasts to kind of, you know, what organic actually means and all that sort of thing. But so was it around the sort of 60s and 70s that more intensive forms of farming started to sort of emerge? And we started to um, play around, it's not the right word, but we started to experiment, I guess, with, with pesticides and increasing yields and all that. Is that when it started to become a bit more intensive? Um, I, th I think it was a post-Second World War. Right. Uh, Lady Eve Balfour and a few people founded the Soil Association in 1946 um, because they were worried about the health of food. Right. Uh, so Rudolf Steiner, the philosopher who's responsible for Steiner schools, mm. etc., et his philosophy was always that the health of a nation was represented through the health of their food. Mm. Um, and I guess a group of people in, you know, in post-war were concerned that the huge growth of potential chemical fertilizers and pesticides and sprays would lead to a more unhealthy nation. Mm. That's why they founded the Soil Association. Um, the, the fundamentals is that any product that you buy, you've got calories on, mm -hmm. so you can go and see the calories, and calories is a measure of energy. Yeah. Therefore, food production is where do you get the energy to produce the food that then, you know, you represent that through the calories on the pots. Right. So in the post-Second World War era, there was food rationing. Europe was in a really difficult space. Um, and artificial fertilizer, which is nitrogen, which has got huge amounts of embedded energy in it. Right. Um, so across Europe, there were lots of nitrogen-producing factories because nitrogen is an embedded energy that is the biggest component of explosives. Yeah. So basically, the a lot a lot of the manufacturing got repurposed from being making bombs to making just the nitrogen that farmers wow. could then put onto their fields. That would then grow the crops and the energy. You know, so to make nitrogen fertilizer, you take loads of oil energy, and you extract nitrogen from the atmosphere, and it puts the energy into the nitrogen fertilizer. Oh. When you put that onto the fields, you know, that then gets released and the crops grow. I'd never really so, thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all they did is shortcut, you know. So as organic farmers, what we do is we, we through legumes and things like that, we fix the nitrogen in the soil by using the sun's energy. Mm -hmm. um, 
So in a way, they are using the sun's energy, but from maybe a billion years ago when yes. the coal was made or the oil or the gas was made. Yes. Um, but the principle of organic farming is just to capture today's sun's energy yeah. and let that manifest itself in, in, in the food that we produce. Yeah. And just for anyone who's thinking, what the hell is a legume? Um, just explain that. A legume is a name of a plant that fixes nitrogen from the atmosphere into its root source. So when I was at school... Yeah, I was just saying, cast your minds back, everyone, to GCSE biology. <laughs> everybody did the pea cycle. You got a yes. pea, you planted the pea, the pea grew, you lifted it out, and on the bottom are there these little nodules. Mm. Um, so, the, so the energy of the sun, so all legumes like clovers and peas... Their leaves are very wide. Mm-hmm. They're like lots of like mini solar panels. Wow, yeah. They're just taking the sun's energy through photosynthesis, capturing nitrogen, transferring the nitrogen from the air into the roots, and then that gets released into the soil and is the energy source for lots of, um, lots of crops that don't grow, that don't fix their own nitrogen. Yeah. So it's really interesting that um, in sort of sustainability and sustainable living, we talk a lot about carbon, but actually sounds like as, as organic farmers, the, the, the thing that you talk about a lot is nitrogen and that that's the sort of key to it. Yeah, I think the nitrogen legume thing is a, is a sort of helping hand to the carbon cycle. Mm-hmm. So the carbon cycle is the most important one. Yeah. Obviously, with all the emissions that have happened in the last you know, a couple of hundred years from industrialization, mm. carbon is a, is a major problem. Um, but when crops grow, you know, so trees are basically 50% carbon. Yeah. Um, so when a tree is growing, the mass of the plants that is, you know, so one day there's nothing and 10 years later mm. there's a big mass, 50% of that is carbon. And right. that carbon has come from breaking up the carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere. Mm, yeah. so it's actually taking the little carbon bits and going, let's put all those together and make a tree or a plant or a whatever. So the nitrogen in helping that process, that, and when that carbon degrades and goes back into the soil, mm. you have the ability to lock it up for the long term, which is what regenerative organic farming is about, where you're using soil to store carbon yeah. and, and, and reverse the process of the last 12,000 years where soil has been admitting carbon into the atmosphere. Yeah. And th- that, you know, what you've just been saying, the, the whole sort of um, campaign that uh, the Soil Association and Organic UK have got at the moment with sort of nature has the answer. It, it like, that's just in how many words is that? Nature has the answer. Four words. Like that just kind of sums it up, doesn't it? And I was talking to um, Emma and David at Buckley's Bees about how, you know, with all our technological wizardry, we haven't invented anything better than the bee for pollinating and we haven't invented anything better than the tree for sucking carbon out of the air. It's just um, kind of mind-blowing, really. As a dairy farmer, I would say that grass is far better than trees in terms terms of the carbon. Yeah, and I really want to kind of um, dive into that because that's where people start to talk about the, um, you know, we're told a lot that one of the the agriculture is a big contributor to um global greenhouse gas emissions so how does and i can't remember actually i've got it written down here um so from what i the, the sources that i saw said uh food and farming accounts for a third of global greenhouse gas emissions um 70 percent of global water use and contributes to a uh, major contributor to biodiversity loss so um so i guess that's talking about all food and farming how how does how does food and farming contribute to this massive amount of greenhouse gas emissions? So I think I think the figure is about 133 billion tons of carbon dioxide has been released from soil over the last 1,200 years or 12,000 years of basically since we as humans have been farming. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the ability, you know, so there are various places when, where carbon exists, okay? So carbon exists in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. carbon exists in the seas, carbon exists in the plants and the trees, yeah. carbon exists in the soil, and carbon exists in, the, in coal and gas and things right. like that. So on a macro level, we have released from intensive farming and from oil and gas utilisation 
we have least released a lot of the carbon up into the atmosphere. Sorry, when you say carbon exists in the soil, so when you plough a field, does that literally release carbon? It can do, yes. Oh, okay. So intensive agriculture and leaving bare land mm-hmm. um, is not good for retention of organic soil matter, etc., etc. Okay. And therefore, so what's happened is that the soil, but the good thing, so there is there is still three times more carbon in soil than there is in the atmosphere. Right. Wow. In the atmosphere, it's where the difficult thing is. We really can't make coal again, and we can't make oil and gas. Yeah. Um, but what we can do is we can put carbon back into soil. Um, okay. And that is the fundamental result of regenerative organic agriculture. So there's um, one of the, the questions I wanted to ask you was, was these different terms. And um, anyone yeah. who listens to the archers, it's my favourite thing to do. You'll probably roll your eyes as a farmer about the archers, but it's my favourite thing to do on a Sunday morning. Um, so they talk about uh, agroforestry. They talk about rewilding. We've got these terms of regenerative agriculture. And then we've got organic. Like, do they all mean the same thing? What, what do all those different things mean? Because it starts getting really confusing. So agroforestry and silver pasture are probably two things, but coming from different angles. Right. That's where you're basically farming animals or crops where you're using trees. Okay. So if, you take a, if you take a flat surface as a dimension and the ability of that flat surface to take in carbon from the atmosphere, mm-hmm. if you inter- interspace it with trees, okay, you've mm-hmm. got greater surface area of right. plants that are working on your side yeah so what agroforestry and silver pasture is is where you farm crops or animals in amongst trees okay um, so whether it's rows of trees and then you've got grass and cereal crops in the middle oh, okay. or whether it's woods where the trees are spread out enough yeah and cows and sheep can 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 go in between it and and sort of graze and you know mm. great thing. so that's sort of silver pasture and agroforestry Rewilding is sort of where you've taken really knackered land that might have been growing cereal crops continually for, you know, plant, you know, with no organic manure from cows. Or mm. So where you've got land that has been constantly farmed for arable, mm-hmm. like the, the Nepa state was, they basically said, whatever we do, we can't make any money. So let's just stop farming right. and rewild it. And in that whole rewilding, you get huge increases in biodiversity, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it doesn't actually produce a huge amount of food. So it's on the extremes of the food production. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you've got a few pigs and a few deer and a few running around mm. in the wild area, you're not going to be producing massive quantity or enough right. food really to feed a growing or, a, or, a, or the population. Yeah. Um, Regenerative organic farming is where you're farming, but what you're trying to do is increase the carbon levels of the, you know, so you're, you know, you're, you're farming in a way that is potentially reversing climate change. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's the methods that you use to do the farming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, using minimal tillage, using, making sure that the, that the soil is always covered with crops and things like yeah. that. And actually, the use of grazed animals is totally fundamental to regenerative organic agriculture because it's the, the life of the soil is about the manure from the animals and yeah. the, something called mob grazing, which is where you tend to graze grass less often, but the grass is very high. Okay. So if you're grazing your cow, you know, very, you know, once every 40 days on a, on each bit of land, they're going in on grass that is like really high mm-hmm. again, you know, the surface area of all those plants is mm. far greater than if you're going in grazing, you know, grass that's like two inches high. Yeah. Um, so it's just about weaponizing plants to fix carbon into the soil and yeah. making sure that it stays there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, but regenerative farming and organic farming, kind of the same thing. By adapting organic farming with some other methods, okay. you, you have the ability to build carbon in your soil mm-hmm. um, and, to, and to repair soils in parts of the world where they've been really, really badly you know, degraded. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
And I saw a, um, there was an article out, uh, might have been this week and I'll link to it, um, that said that if, if all of the farmland in Europe was farmed organically and regeneratively, it would reduce uh, farming emissions by, I think it was like 30 or 40% or something. It was really quite, you know, an astonishing reduction. Yeah. So how feasible is that, 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 um, that all our food is produced organically and can we produce enough food organically? Um, I think it's up to consumers really. Um, you know, if, if consumers make the same choices as they do on their electricity contracts or their fast fashion, whatever's or mm. their cars or, you know, so organic farming and specifically regenerative organic farming has the ability to start reversing climate change. The question is, is how, how will consumers adopt that and, and vote with their wallet yeah um, and it's up to you know putting it on the line is up to the job of people like myself yeah to counter the arguments of people who think that we should always continue with industrial agriculture yeah and the answer is technology and more sprays and more chemicals and you know making protein or making meat oh sure. yeah 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 at the end of the day we are pretty insignificant on the planet when it mm. comes to the overall planet. Yeah, there have been, I think there's been six mass extinctions on the planet or five mm. mass extinctions. Um, there may be another mass extinction, but life on the planet always continues. Planet will carry on, yeah, it's, it's just without just, us. It yeah. might just continue on without us. Yeah. So we are pretty insignificant, really, when you look at the, you know, you look at the world and the um, the way the earth has the ability to repair itself. Yeah. Um, and therefore, it is really up to us. You know, if you look at the people who are controlling our wallets, okay, yeah. and the choices that we're making, um, you know, it is, you know, we need to be smarter as consumers. And yeah, yeah. And like this is, you know, it's something I bang on about a lot is the, the power of our choices, you know, and, and as much as we might reject the label of a sort of consumer, we live in this consumer society and, and the choices that, that we make really do have an impact. So before we started recording, you, you said that, um, you know, you viewed choosing organic as a, sort of in the same way as, um, you know, switching your energy supply, which is something I bang on about a lot, or looking to, you know, at the next time you um, buy a new car to look at electric and things like that. And that actually it's, it's, it's that choice. And that actually as, as consumers, if, if we can get enough groundswell and enough um, that actually we can grow the organic regenerative movement as much as farmers can. Absolutely. This, this argument that, um, you know, if, if the whole of, um, I guess, should we call it commercial farming, converted to regenerative um, organic, that there wouldn't be sufficient food to, to feed this growing population of, you know, approaching 8 billion. Food waste plays a really big part, doesn't it? Because we waste a third of all the food produced, don't we? Yeah. So actually, if, if we can, um, you know, one of, the, one of the, the big impact things that I think that we can do as individuals is, is to tackle food waste. And I think in um, Project Drawdown, which is a list of the 100 um, most effective um, actions around climate crisis, food waste comes really, really high. So actually, I guess in, in the two things working hand in hand, we would then have enough food. Absolutely. Okay, playing devil's advocate... We, the message that we get uh, repeatedly is that we need to reduce meat and dairy and that meat and dairy are, are you know, um, a massive contributor to, the, to, the, to farming's emissions. Um, and you've just said that actually regenerative agriculture can reverse um, or can help to reverse the climate crisis. How do we marry those two things up? Well, I think it's a matter of how, I mean, so basically we always go back to soil versus oil. Okay. Right. So, yeah. so, so if you're, you know, if you're cutting down the rainforest and growing crops of soya to feed mm -hmm. to cattle or feed lots of beef or things like that, yeah. then the footprint of that beef is going to be very high. Mm -hmm. okay? If you're cutting down the same rainforest and growing soya and then transporting it halfway around the world and putting it through a highly processed process to turn it into soya milk mm -hmm. and that has the that still has the same effect on the rainforest yeah. and the bits and pieces so it's not it's, it's about you know ha, you know so with the i think if you go onto the bbc they got a sort of cal calculator for beef and dairy and they right. say that it's the worst thing to do and then there's a caveat that goes well of course you know 
beef and dairy produced on a grass-based system is like one-tenth of the level that, yes. you know, of the sort of feedlots where they're just growing soya in South America yeah. and putting it onto a feedlot. Yeah. So it's not about meat and dairy. It's about industrial ag- yeah. agriculture. Yeah, so, yeah. so as dairy farmers, we don't have a problem because we can build our own fertility. Right. We've got cows and the, and the manure from the cows is what makes the soil live and be alive. Yeah. And, you know, all the bacteria and then it breaks it down and it makes, you know, the dense nutrients that, that yeah. you get from beef and lamb and, and dairy. The big problem is the people who have abandoned that type of farming and basically rely on artificial fertilizer, which basically is oil. Um, yeah. And their soil is the soil, you know, you hear various people going, well, we've got 30 harvests left in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, soil yeah. Is, soil is bacteria and organic matter and it's got air and it's got water. So it's this big living thing. Mm-hmm. And if you just devoid it of its health by its by the organic matter, the manures and all that sort of stuff, then you just end up with with a substrate that you're trying to put in all the yeah, nutrients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just yeah. loses its structure and its health and its um so the balance is that there is, you know. So whether we eat, and we probably eat too much dairy and too much yeah. beef and lamb, but at the same time, all the chicken and the pork that's being, you know, chickens are taking like you know, eight weeks to rear and they're just mm. buying, and they're just being fed on grain that is being produced on farms that is just oil-based grain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the dense, you know, the denseness of the, and the quality of the food that you've got has got to be taken into account. Mm. Um when you're deciding your systems dairy and milk is um sort of cited as a contributor to climate crisis is the kind of emissions from the cows and the and the sheep so if you have a um, a farm like yours can you sequester more carbon in your soil than the animals are emitting that's probably a really technical question no, not at all. five <laughs> five years ago we did some testing this year we've done over a thousand tests and the answer is yes we put twice as much carbon back into our soils as the carbon footprint of the milk we produced wow um, and that is because you know we you're using the plants to take carbon from the atmosphere down through the plants through the roots reduce releasing it into the soil the bacteria in the soil are then using that releasing more nutrients to the plants the cows eat the plants the yeah. goes in healthy soil locks it all up in five years time we set ourselves a target to ensure that on the 2,000 acres we farm we have you know, we're, we're, we're sort of calling it the double pledge, is that whatever the footprint of producing the milk, we're going to put twice as much carbon back into the soil. Wow. So in five and a half years' time, when we get the results of that, and to do that, we're adopting lots of practices like minimum tillage, you know, more mob grazing, you know, making sure that the fields are covered with the right crops and yeah. the rooting crops. But we do, have, we do have the evidence and the calculation that shows that in the last five years, we've done exactly that. Wow. And you have you got like an acre of solar panels or something? Did I read? Um, we, the, the farm roof has got solar panels on. Wow. That just seems like a real no-brainer to me. When you go past, there's a, there's a dairy farm near us and they've got, you know, it's, it's a big expanse of roof, isn't it? So it yeah. just feels like a, you know, a bit of a no-brainer to cover it in got, solar panels. But, but we always look at it, we've got 2,000 acres of solar panels. because Yes, green, in the grass. The green stuff are solar panels. Yeah. Every plant is taking, you know, ni- um, every plant is taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and releasing the oxygen and using the carbon. Yeah. The knack yeah. is to, the knack is to try and keep some of that, and to and to build up your bank of carbon um, as well as producing food. You know, the way you tell whether your soil's any good, okay, for all the analyses that you do, if you if you if you feel it, you smell it, and you taste it. Okay, then that really is the answer. You know, soil soil smells great when it's good. And worms, aren't they quite, you know, if you dig in and you've got worms, that's a sign of good soil. That is. So what we did this spring, which after the wettest winter on record, um, well, we were supposed to be doing it through the winter. We have we have sampled a thousand soil samples on our farm and we sampled them at three different depths. Right. Carbon isn't just in the top 
six inches, you know. So you put a core down and you take yeah. three different depths and then you dig pits up in all the places where you've done that and you do the worm count and the bits and pieces. Yeah. So in five years' time, so five years ago, we only did 100 samples. This year, we've done 1,000 samples. Wow. And when we replicate that in five years' time, yeah. we will have, you know, we will be able to be judged on how much carbon we have managed to put into the soil, but also we'll be able to compare the worm counts. And, mm. the, and, and it's something things. like 50%, isn't it? More biodiversity, according to the Soil Association, on organic farms than, than conventional farms. Yeah, that's, they've done the, they've done all the surveys. and mm. So just, just to introduce, so biodiversity and bioabundance are quite important. This is, right. this, this is a little pet, pet topic for me. So lots of people will go, oh, we've, we planted a strip here on, you know, generally a strip along here and done mm. this and whatever. And therefore our biodiversity is quite high. Yeah. Biodiversity just means the amount of different species. Yeah. Bioabundance is the quantity of the species. Yeah. Okay. So what organic farmers have a better ability to do is to have you know, so lots of people, conventional farmers, and it's really good that they're putting strips and, mm. but organic farmers have a bigger ability to have greater bioabundance. Yeah. Because the bit that you're actually farming, okay, is the bit that you're trying to maintain the soil life and it, all the bioabundance comes up from the soil life. Yeah. You're constantly pouring chemicals across your fields. You have the ability to kill some of that soil life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And therefore, whilst there is 50% more biodiversity on organic farms, according to all of the surveys, etc., mm. I think we will score even better on the numbers, yeah. right? which is partly what is, is, is more important. Yeah. So if, you've got, if you've got two, two ladybirds on your farm and that ticks your bio... Yes, yeah. If you've got 40,000 when you've got a whole <laughs> load of... When, when you need the ladybirds to be eating the, the things that are attacking yeah. your, your brassicas or whatever... Yeah, yeah. You know, two ladybirds ain't going to do it. So, it, I mean, that, you know, it might sound really cheesy, but, you know, every time we are able to make a choice for organic, it is making, literally making a choice for the planet and for the sort of climate as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and what we've got to do is to show people, and what we're going to be working on is how we can show people that we are working to reverse the emissions, mm. therefore reverse climate change. Yeah. So, and then that's, do you know, that whole idea that, you're not just being less bad. You're actually, you know, it's the, it's the polar opposite. You're, you're doing really good stuff. You're not just being sort of less, less yeah. negative. So I think we've been through the, through, through the decade of lowering our carbon footprint. Everybody's been to all the brands have been talking about, Oh, we're going to lower this and mm. lower that. And so hopefully the whole of the next decade is about how do we start reversing? Mm. And I fundamentally believe that because there is, three times more soil, more carbon in the soil than the atmosphere, that soil has the ability to be the, the next decade of reversing climate change if we can organise ourselves to get that message across and people understand it. And how optimistic do you feel? Totally. Do you? Well, I mean, what... what Otherwise what, you what, wouldn't get up. <laughs> what are the choices? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know... Everybody is saying that there is a certain amount of time. The work has been done on what a regenerative organic Europe would look like. Could it feed itself? Yes, it can. And at some point, that will begin to be turned into a reality. Um, Do you feel like there is a shift within farming? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's difficult because, you know, as an organic farmer, you know, you know, I, you know, we're cause committed. Um, you know, we're committed to the cause that we're mm. in. Therefore, sometimes we're we look at it in in a, in a sort of in a sort of narrow way. But in no way do I look at organic farming and conventional farming as 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 different completely. Mm. You know, because the opportunity for all farmers to farm better, yes, regeneratively, and, and therefore well, the last thing we want to do is to create division within farming. Mm. But at some point, you know, the, the industrialised farming that has got to, 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 to stop in terms of the degradation of the mm, soil, mm. at some point, they've got, and it's, a, it's both carrot and stick, you know, they've got to be aware of what's happening and there's got to be incentives to, to change. Yeah. Um, 
we've just got to look at the big picture yeah. and say, you know, what is the big picture? The big picture is how do we produce nutritiously dense food that can be consumed in, and that is healthy for the for the for the for the UK public. Um, yeah, and also looking after our climate. Yeah, definitely. Now you've got loads of amazing information on your website. Can you? Um, you said you said right at the start. I really don't do social media. Can you? Do you know where we can come and find you online? Well, well, online, but but more more importantly, you know, we're here in the Yo Valley in Somerset. You know, so unfortunately, we've just had to cancel some of the events that we were beginning to do because um, of the six person rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we run cooking demonstrations. We run farm tours. Next year, we're still planning to have a festival called Valley Fest. Oh. 10,000 people can come. And um, we've got some great bands lined up. People can come to the Organic Garden um, and book on. That's open at the moment. Yeah. So we try and allow and bring fifty to 60,000 people to the Valley every year. Wow. So that they can see what we're doing. They yeah. can us. Some people might not like what they see. Some people might go, I want to buy more of your product. Yeah. So, the way that they can get in touch is is to come, um, but coming quite at the moment is not as um, easy not as wide, yeah. it's not as wide a choice as it was. Right, yeah. Um, and then we have all the we have all the the channels that you would expect us to have in terms of the website at yeah.co.uk, um, and there are blogs and information around products and what we're trying to do. Um, Brilliant. And I know we have Instagram because that is the one person I follow on my Instagram. Um, and I'm pretty sure we'll have the other ways of communicating. Yes. Because yeah, I'll link to all them in, in the show notes. I'm, I'm 100% sure again, you will have every them. Now and again, people send us some very nice feedback on them. And then even rarer, people send us some feedback that probably is not quite as good. <laughs> uh, but it's like anything, you know, most people try and do the right thing. They yeah. try and make the right choices. And as a business, you're, you're no different. You're just trying mm. to go, you know, nobody sets out necessarily to bugger up the planet yeah. and do this and uh, whatever. So what you've got to do is through education, people's intentions can be harnessed to do good, really. Amazing. That's a brilliant point to end on, I think. Thank you so much for your time and your amazing expertise. That's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. ish you wonderful sack of loveliness with me jen gale hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old gray matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably do let me know what that is i love to hear about the changes that people are making big or small every single one counts if you've enjoyed the show and i hope you have do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Listener.